you have to say to us. I pray, Father, for words of knowledge, words of wisdom from your throne. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we all say, amen. Amen. Awesome. Why don't you guys say hi to somebody next to you, and then you guys may be seated. Good morning, Redeemed Church. I just got a few announcements to make this morning, but before we do that, let's uh, open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for those that are here and watching online. We just ask that you continue to bless this church, uh, bless those that attend it, and we uh, love you for your love and grace and mercy, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, guys. Uh, Thank you for joining us this morning. Um, Just a few announcements. Uh, Leadership, if you have a desire to to serve in this church. Uh, we do meet up here every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Um, we do devotion and prayer. Um, we just ask that you join us if you feel like uh, you want to come out and help support the church in other ways. Men of Redeemed Fellowship, uh, we ask that you join us at Friday nights at 7 o'clock um, as we go through the book of Ephesians. Um, we have a blessed time. We come out here. We have guest speakers. Um, We also do devotions at that time. Um, We have coffee and donuts. Uh, We ask that you guys come out and join us. It's been a great time uh, growing as brothers for the Lord. Um, With that as well, we uh, have Wednesday nights uh, Bible studies. We started them up um, earlier this month. Uh, So far, so good. It's been wonderful. The Lord's been speaking to us. It's a huge blessing. We ask that if you uh, desire to come out on Wednesday nights, um, as it will not be broadcasted online, um, so... A little uh, smaller group, um, but we ask that you come out and join us. Uh, if you have a heart to desire or a desire to give uh, at the church, we ask. Uh, we have two ways. We have an agape box at the back, or we can also uh, give here through the Zelle app at redeemchurchf at gmail.com. Um, if you have any questions about that, you can uh, ask me. I can help you through the process. And if you guys don't have a Bible this morning, please raise your hand and we'll give you a Bible. Um, We do have a couple to hand out, and I'll be handing those out to you. Um, Other than that, that's all the announcements I have, so let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. Uh, We ask that you illuminate the text to us, uh, speak through our pastor, Salvador. Uh, We ask that you continue to uh, guide us and fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Thank you, Howard. If you guys have your Bibles this morning, as Howard's passing those out, go ahead and turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. We've been studying through the, the Gospel of Luke. If you guys are uh, joining us this morning, um, we go verse by verse through our, our studies, um, chapter by chapter, book by book. And it would be a, a dream for me to teach through the whole entire Bible verse by verse, and uh, we're, we're just starting off, so I got some years to go. But right now, we're in the middle of Luke. Uh, if you turn to Luke chapter 11, and we're actually in the middle of the chapter. We're in chapter 14. Uh, last week and the, the weeks prior, we were talking all about prayer, and Jesus was teaching his, desires, his disciples how to pray. They asked him, they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And what an what awesome thing to ask for. 
not teach me how to preach or teach me how to lead, but teach me how to communicate to my Father in heaven. Teach me how to have a relationship with him. And that's the basis of Christianity. That's relationship with God, relationship with Jesus. So Jesus right now, he's training his disciples and helping them to grow deeper in the relationship with the Father. So he's going to exhort his disciples, as we study this morning, about a few things. The title of my study today is The Warfare and the Walk. The Walk and the Warfare. (laughs) Now, as a Christian, you guys are, as soon as you became a believer, the enemy already wanted to begin to attack you and pull you away from God's plan for your life. So with that, Jesus, what we're going to study today, we realize that Jesus is high above every spiritual power that exists. Now, it's not something that we need to be afraid of, something to understand and to know, but something to remember that Jesus has already been victorious over the battle. We have the victory. The Bible teaches us that we're more than conquerors. So before I go too deep into my my thoughts on the chapter, let me just read a few of the verses that we're going to be covering this morning. Beginning with verse 14 of Luke chapter 11. We read, And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebub the ruler of the demons. Others, testing him, sought from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say I cast out demons by Beelzebub, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other more wicked spirits than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Beginning with my points this morning, and I love uh, giving you guys some points to go home with so that we can leave here not the same way that we came in. Point number one, know your enemy. Know your enemy. 
Let's look at verse 14 and 15 again. It says, And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled. But some of them said, He cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Now, right away, I, I recognize in these verses the power of Christ over the demonic spirits. In this account, we have a very real demon that is attacking a person so much so and is indwelling in their body and it's causing that person to be mute. Now, I like to use the word account rather than story. You'll notice sometimes I say in this account because the Bible isn't just a book of stories, of fairy tales or folklore, but the Bible, this book here with us this morning in front of us, this is the word of God, infallible, inspired, meaning God breathes. So the stories that we read in here, we know they happened. Now, with this mute now, he's being plagued by this demon. And Jesus comes to him and performs a miracle. He casts out the demon, meaning that the demons are subject to Jesus. And here's the sad part of that. There's a work of God happening. And right away, we see the work of the enemy coming in to counteract the work of God. And that happens in our life so many times. Be rest assured, when there's a work of God going on in your life, that this, the enemy, the devil, and his demons, they want to counteract that work. They want to reverse the process. They'll tell you, oh, like, it's cool that you're visiting a church, but you, know, you don't need to become full-blown, born-again Christian. You know, just read your Bible every once in a while. Don't don't read all the Bible. Just read a little bit of it. And you'll be good. See, that's a lie from the enemy. The skeptics of Jesus here, as Jesus is performing this miracle, the counter, what the enemy is doing is he's allowing these skeptics then to step in and say, look, Jesus is doing this work, this spiritual matter, by Satan's power. That word for Beelzebub, that name Beelzebub, it means Lord of the flies. And it's another name for, the, for Satan. For the devil. And I'm like, why do they call it Lord of the Flies? Well, you see, back then they, they imagined that the demons were, were so scattered about, as numerous as flies in our world. Now, Satan, something to understand about him. One reason why we don't need a, to be afraid of him, because we have Jesus in our life, sometimes we think that that Satan is like arm wrestling with Jesus and they're like kind of actually like, like there's an actual battle that's going on that may maybe the devil can win. No, it's not like that at all. God, Jesus, actually created Satan. He made him. He's a created being. Whereas Jesus is infinite. He has no beginning. Satan is not omnipresent, meaning he's not everywhere at once, like our Jesus, like our God is. His demons, however, do roam about and they oppose God's purpose. I think it was last week we talked about uh, Daniel's angel and that account where Daniel the prophet was praying and fasting for the word of the Lord to come to him and the angel that was sent dispatched to him was then hindered by Satan, by this demonic presence. And so much so that Michael, the archangel, had to come and help that angel out in battle, hand-to-hand -hand combat, spiritual warfare. 
And then once the angel was, the demon was defeated, that angel was able to go to Daniel and give him the word of the Lord. See, if our eyes could be opened to the spiritual realm right now, oh man, we'd probably be so scared and frightened, but we have to remember that God is with us. Jesus, if God is with us, who can be against us? Now, originally, demons were angels. But like Satan, Lucifer, who was also an angel, a lot of theologians believe that he had something to do with the choir up in heaven because it talks about how he was at one time, his body had instruments on it. But Satan, because he was so beautiful that God made him, he, be, he built up himself in pride and said, I want to ascend above God. And so Satan then was cast out of heaven. But he deceived many angels with him. And, they, and those angels who followed with Satan, they became demons. As I was studying this, what I found to be interesting, there were the angels in the presence of the holy Jesus, God, the Father. Jesus made them because it says in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God, was with God, and the Word was God. And then it talks about how Jesus created everything in the beginning. So they're creating the angels and there are the angels in the presence of God the Father worshiping him and he still gave them choice. He gave them free will at a time. And the angels who followed after Satan, they lost their heavenly privilege and they became demons. Now there are ranks of demons. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 talks about the ranks. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So look at there's ranks now. In the same way that God has his ranks, like Michael the archangel, Gabriel one of the archangels, Satan has his ranks of demons. Because he's trying to counteract what God has. And they also try to deceive us in our belief, in what we believe in. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And when I see that, I'm like, wow, I, I wonder what that angel was that visited the Mormon leader. Who, who visited that Mormon guy and gave him that false testimony? You know? Even when you look at uh, Muhammad, he was visited by an angel. And he got a, a new testimony of what was going on between God the Father and mankind. And I'm always hesitant when somebody said an angel visited them and gave them a new doctrine, a new word. There's no new revelation. Joseph Smith was that guy's name. I couldn't think of it. It came to my mind. The Lord brought it to me. Joseph Smith was visited, he says, by an angel. And it gave him these spectacles that he can read this New Testament, this golden book and he learned all this new doctrine but they don't receive jesus as god the father i'm sorry as god the son they don't so let's not 
listen to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. We must be discerning and read our Bibles for ourselves. Now understand this, believer. We cannot be possessed by a demon. And thank God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God, and you are not your own. So that's something that's super cool that I love about the Christian religion. The Christian religion is the only true religion where the God of that religion comes and makes his home the believer. He indwells within the worshiper. What other religion has that? And that did not happen until Jesus resurrected on the cross. And he told his disciples, wait in Jerusalem, tarry there, and the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The Holy Spirit then came on the day of Pentecost, and God began to make his home our bodies, our heart. We're filled with the same power that rose Jesus from the grave. So with this, knowing that we are the temple of God, we realize that the demons, they hate our temple. They want to destroy our bodies. So what do we do then in spiritual warfare? In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, it says, Therefore, amen, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. How do we put on the armor of God? It's spiritual, right? That's an illustration. I don't I literally have a, a sword and shield in my closet that I take to work every morning. No, we pray on the armor of God. You see, the, the armor goes from, from head to toe on, on the bottom. It starts with your feet, the gospel of peace. May we be evangelists. We say, God, I pray that you would just use me this day. Open a door that I can talk to someone. The belt of truth. God, help me to walk in honesty. How many to walk in integrity? The breastplate of righteousness. Lord Jesus, take away my filthy rags, my own self-righteousness, and give me your righteousness imputed upon me. How about the shield of faith? God, I need more faith because the, the fiery darts of the enemy are coming at me right now. You pray it on. The sword of the Spirit right here, the word of God to divide truth from falsities. The sword, sharper than any two living sword, living and powerful. Take it with you. God, help me to know my word. And lastly, something that's the helmet, our security, the helmet of salvation. You see, we know that when we are in Christ, we're eternally secure. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 41 it says, then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. The demons and Satan, they're already defeated. So though, yes, this world is falling apart. We see it happening more and more. And we're going to see more demonology coming out. I think a couple of weeks ago I talked about Converse's newest uh, logo with the pentagram upside down on it. It's crazy. Our shoe companies. It's like, man, the world is saying what is evil is good and what is good is evil. But God's going to have his just day 
when all that's thrown, done away with. Let's continue in Luke chapter 11, verse 16. It says, Others testing him sought from him a sign from heaven. Now notice there's a subject change here. The, the demons is being cast out of this man and they're starting to accuse Jesus of being empowered by Satan. And now all of a sudden others are, are coming in and they're testing him. They're, they're, they're saying, hey, well, show us a sign. Show us a, a sign from heaven. Now it goes from aligning Jesus with Satan to then seeking after a sign. And we're going to jump into that topic a little bit later because it goes a little more in depth on seeking a sign. But it brings me to point two of my study today. Division brings destruction. Division brings destruction. And we read in verse 17, But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. You see, Jesus, what I see in this verse, he knew the thoughts of man. That was his divine power, to, his ability to be able to see what was going on, to discern that. And he said, look, when there's a kingdom that within itself is divided, it's going to be brought to desolation. And that word for desolation, it means to lay waste, to bring to ruin, to bring to nothing. You see, in our world, nations, businesses, churches, families, and even within ourselves, at times there can be division. And, and we talked actually about this on Wednesday night when we were going through the book of Corinthians. We talked about how in the church we want to avoid division. Paul was writing to the Corinthian church because the Corinthian church, they, they began to follow this pattern where certain speakers and certain preachers and teachers, they said, well, I'm going to follow that guy and I'm not going to have anything to do with that other guy. So we had guys who really liked Paul and they're like, well, I'm of Paul. And other guys were like, oh, well, I like Peter. He was the OG from, with Jesus all the way to the beginning. You know, so I'm going to follow what Peter says. And people, other people who are maybe really self-righteous, like, I only listen to Jesus and I don't take Paul's words. I don't listen to what Paul wrote or any of his letters to the churches. It's like, whoa, dude. These are ministers of the word. Ministers of, the God, of God, Jesus, who chose these apostles. Paul was discipled by Jesus in the desert of Arabia. Now, we need to be careful, too, because division that was happening there in the Corinthian church, Paul started to exhort them, look, when we divide the body, who bleeds? Because we are the body of Christ, right? So when we divide the body, who bleeds? Hmm. I don't want to divide the body. And there's so many ways that that can happen. You know, perhaps nowadays it more so it's like, well, um, I, I'm, I'm a Baptist. Or I'm, I'm a Pentecostal. Or I'm a Lutheran. Or uh, I'm Episcopalian. I'm of the Church of Christ. Hmm. Division? Now, something I truly believe and absolutely 100% take in is that God allows us and in his wisdom, to have these denominations. Because certain people need to grow where they're best going to grow, and God knows exactly where they need to be. And I don't think denominations are a bad thing. I believe truly that the Bible teaches denominations are a good thing. 
Now, to be divisive, though, in these things, I think that is an error. Because is Christ divided? No, Christ is not divided. Well, how about even in this room this morning? I'm pro-vaccine. I'm anti-vaccine. And if you don't agree with me, then I don't like you. I'm Democrat. I'm Republican. Ooh. Let's not major in the minors. What about doctrines? I believe a, a Christian can't lose his salvation. Well, I believe that they can. So I'm not going to fellowship with you. Mm. Is Christ divided? Let's not major in the minors. Here at Redeemed Church, you're going to find that as I'm teaching, I'm not going to hardline any one doctrine that is not a minor doctrine. Why do I want to divide the body? I don't. So in the things that are effective in salvation, the major doctrines, I'm going to stay true to, and I'm going to teach the word. But I'm not going to major in the minors. So let's not be divided as a church. But what about our marriages? Are we divided in our marriages this morning? Parents this morning, are you guys allowing division amongst each other? I want you guys to turn your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Because I want us to take a look at what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in regards to husbands and wives and division. We're going to talk a little bit about, about separation this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we'll start with verse 3. It says, Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. All right, that's a plus for both sides, right? That's awesome. Verse 4, The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but his wife does. Okay, that's a little harder, right? Now I've got to give authority to someone who's not me? In verse 5, Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So right here, this is talking about a good separation where with two Christians, two believing spouses, who are consenting and saying, look, for this amount of time, we're going to give ourselves to prayer and fasting. And we're not going to come together yet. But Paul, knowing and God giving him the wisdom that Satan loves to get into the minds of men and women when they're apart from one another so that they get tempted and they put their eyes somewhere else on another woman, another man. Paul said, look, because of your guys' weakness, you guys need to come back together. Let's jump down to verse 10. He says, now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. 
But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. See, all these things that I'm reading with you right now, God hates divorce. He doesn't want husband and wife to be separated. He says, look, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Let's continue right there in verse 14. We'll read it again. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. So let me encourage you guys. Does God allow for remarriage? Absolutely, he allows for remarriage. We're called to peace. In verse 16, For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Some strong words in marriage. In marriage, I understand, uh, it's, it's hard. So these are hard things to live by. How do we do it? You can't. You need Jesus to do it. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, an exhortation for us this morning. Jesus says, whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. See, as believers, we need to be representative to the entire world what Jesus and his church are. And so many times I'm reminded that one of the, the examples of, of an unfaithful wife has been the church. And Jesus, lovingly, he redeems the church. He calls her back, which is us. The church is a, a symbol of us, the woman marrying the bridegroom, which is Jesus. And sometimes we're so unfaithful. And yet he calls us back to him every time, always open with that grace and mercy. Now back in Luke's gospel, chapter 11, verse 18. Continuing in division, Jesus says, if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. You see, the Jewish leaders at that time, they had their own exorcists too. And it wasn't like the movie. It scared all my mom and my aunts, that movie. But Jesus is saying, look, to his accusers who had their exorcists. Well, do your, do your sons also exercise out demons by Satan? And Jesus is showing that he is more powerful 
than Satan here. Which leads me to point three. Jesus has power over Satan. In verse 21, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. So this is an illustration that Jesus is giving and something I want us to understand because I'm going to read this verse again. Track with me. The stronger than he who comes, it's referring to Jesus. So the strong man the, at first mentions is going to be a demonic spirit or Satan. So look at it again. It says, when a strong man, fully armed, that's Satan, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he, that's Jesus, comes upon him, overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. You see, Jesus is the greatest contender. We see these guys, these UFC fighters, they got nothing on them. Satan may have some power, but if Jesus contends, Satan is no match. Why? Because Satan, again, he's a created being. Now, maybe you're asking, well, why would God create Satan? Like, why, if he knew, why would God do that? And that's a hard question to answer, I'll be honest with you guys, because I sometimes think, like, man, Jesus couldn't make it just a completely perfect world. But here's the thing. Even Satan is used as an instrument of God. And the reason being is he needed to give us free will. He desired to give us free will. And so he uses Satan as an instrument to test the hearts of men and women today, to see who they will be faithful to, who they will be loyal to. So Satan, who thinks he's like this big bad guy, is actually just being used like a chess piece. In verse 23, Jesus says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When we separate ourselves from Christ, Jesus says, if you don't abide in me and I in you, then you will be scattered into the fire, like that vine branch that is withered and it's not, no longer attached to the vine. The farmer just throws it into the flames. You see, there's no neutral ground then. We are either with Jesus or against him. We don't have the luxury uh, of just kind of coasting in our walk with the Lord, we are either walking towards Jesus or we're walking away from him. And if you're not walking at all, you're walking away from him. So what do we need to do? Point four, and be filled with the Spirit. In verse 24, it says, When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he find it, finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So again, remember our bodies are those temples. So if our temple, it, it's has nothing in it, does not have the Holy Spirit living in it, then there's a demon that can possibly enter that body. And let's say, for example, 
that there was someone who had a demon cast out of them. If that person was then to say, well, okay, I'm going to go back to my worldly lifestyle of doing drugs and, and living in sexual immorality and they're not filled with the Holy Spirit, then those demons, the demon that left him, is going to go find all his buddy demons and be like, hey, open pad over here. And they're all going to go over there now and that state of that man is going to be worse than the first state. That's why we need to have that Holy Spirit power in us, filling with us. So how do we do that? How do we walk in the Spirit? So this leads me to the walk of, of the Christian life. Let's look at point five. Blessed are the obedient. In verse 27, It says, and it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts which nurse you. So now, this is kind of interesting. As Jesus is teaching these people, suddenly a woman shouts, oh, blessed is your mom and how she got to feed you. And Jesus is kind of taken back. Um, She's basically saying like, look, you're so wonderful that your mother must be a very blessed woman. So Jesus, in verse 28, he says, More than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So now Jesus here, he's not really putting down his mom. He's saying just look, yeah, that's true, she's blessed, but it's better, it's better, it's better to hear the word of God and obey than to have been married. See, it's more blessed to be in that relationship with Christ, that obedient, where Jesus is not only your Savior, but he's also your Lord, calling the shots. You'll be more blessed then. Point six, trust in Jesus over signs. How often in your life have you been like, okay, God, just show me a sign. You know, if, if you want me to, to go on this trip, uh, just you know, make that light, the, stop, the stoplight turn green, and I'm, I'm going to take it. I'll go on the trip. It's like, come on, dude. Let's be a little bit more practical and realistic with our walk with the Lord. We can't just be looking for signs. Verse 29, And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. It seeks a sign. And no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah, the prophet. So now Jesus here, he's going to rebuke those who are listening. In contrast to obeying the word of God, he's looking at people now who want to see a sign. They're like, show us a sign. And sometimes we wonder, why didn't Jesus just do it? How come he didn't just show them a sign so that they would believe? Because wouldn't that just make it so much easier? And I ask us this morning, didn't Jesus already show so many miracles so far in their life? And secondly, how does faith come? (coughs) Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now keep in mind, the Jewish leaders, they were hostile to them and planning for his death. They wanted 
him to, to, to be wiped out. So if Jesus would have begun to reveal himself, perhaps it would have led to them crucifying him before his time. Secondly, people's misunderstanding of Jesus performing a miracle would have made them try to make him king and so that they could, he could wipe out Rome. And thirdly, Jesus desired that genuine faith would come out of people's lives, not based on signs, but based on, on Jesus himself, the word of God. Again in verse 30, For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. Now in Matthew's gospel, Jesus said that as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. And it's kind of interesting when you, when you study why Jesus is saying that the Son of Man is going to go into the belly of the earth. Actually, this morning, I, I was going deeper in, in that that idea that Jesus went into the belly of the earth. And I started to go into uh, the account of Lazarus, the rich man, how they were there and there was a gulf between him and, and Abraham and, and, and the rich man and Lazarus. And we're going to get into that in Luke chapter 16. But perhaps you, this, some of these things are familiar to you about Jesus entering into the earth, the valley of the earth. We'll get there when we get to Luke chapter 16. Look at verse 31. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. So again, now he's pointing back to the Old Testament. And something that's important that we notice that Jesus a lot of times points back to the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is very valid and very important in our walk. And he's talking about the time when King Solomon was visited by the Queen of the South and she actually heard about the works of God being done through Solomon. So she went to go see for herself and then she was amazed to see all the works that God was doing through King Solomon. And she didn't say, well, well show me more works and maybe I'll believe in the God that you serve. No, she believed. In verse 32, another account, Jesus talks about the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they re repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Now you guys remember the, the story of Jonah going into the valley of the fish? the great fish. You had the Ninevites, right? This wicked nation. If you guys didn't know, the Ninevites were so wicked that people were, were afraid of them, that they would, when they would enslave a nation, when they would conquer a nation, they would take the men from that nation. They would cut, cut off their heads, decapitate them, and make a huge pyramid of heads so that when passerbyers would come and see this huge pyramid of heads, they'd be like, whoa, those were the Ninevites. The Ninevites were here. A very wicked nation. And God called Jonah to go to this nation and preach to them. And Jonah was like, dude, that would be like a modern day someone telling a Jew 
during World War II, hey, I want you to go to the Nazis in Germany and preach to them. So Jonah was like, no way, no how. In fact, instead of going to Nineveh, I'm going to go as far away, the opposite way that I could possibly go. But what happened to Jonah as he went in that boat? The storm came, right? And suddenly everyone was freaking out. They started worshiping to their idols and they were saying, what's going on? Like something spiritual is happening. And Jonah's like, okay, it's because of me. I'm running from my God. If you guys throw me off the boat, I'll be, you guys will be okay. Okay, you'll survive. So they threw him off. But God had prepared a fish, a great fish that swallowed Jonah for three days and three nights. And then when Jonah was in the belly of that fish, he repented. He said, all right, God, I'm going to go do what you told me to do. And that fish takes him right back to where he was running away from, spits him out. Jonah comes out with the seaweed, probably some bleach on his face. And then Jonah goes and preaches the shortest repenting message ever. He says, in 40 days, Nineveh is going to burn. Goodbye. And he walks away. And all the Ninevites, when they hear this, by revelation of God, they realize that what Jonah said in that short preaching was true. And they're like, oh my gosh, he's right. And the king's like, okay, we're going to fast and we're going to pray to the God of the heavens and the earth. And he proclaimed this fast. And God had mercy on the Ninevites. You see, the Ninevites repented. And they had such a, a, a short testimony of, of, of a preaching to repent. And the point here that Jesus is trying to make, he's like, look, in both of these cases, the Queen of Sheba, the Queen of the South, and the Ninevites, you have Gentiles who are more willing to receive the things of God than these religious Pharisees of Jesus' time who had the Messiah right there in front of them. And is that happening to the church today? We have the Holy Spirit, something that the Old Testament people didn't have. We have the whole complete word of God right here, all of it, given to us in a language that we could understand. And yet some of us still, with all the prophecies, all the archaeological evidence, we don't believe the signs. You see, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So point seven, my last point. Be in the light. In verse 33, no one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket but on a lampstand that those who come in may see the light. Now this illustration that Jesus is giving, he's saying, look, we don't light candles and then put them in a sealed box and put them away so that nobody could see the light. You see, the word of God and the work of God needs to be on display so that people can come to his salvation. Jesus displayed the light and his enemies were rejecting it. In verse 34, the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. 
So now another part of the illustration, the same way that a lamp gives us sight, our eyes allow us to take in images. We remember these things. And when our eyes get hurt, we have to put a, a patch over it, that blinder on it. We're blind then when our eyes are bad or damaged. You see, in that same manner, what we take in spiritually in our life, it affects us. This past Friday for the men, if you guys were here, my good friend Mikey Sanchez gave us a, a Bible study on faith triumphing in trouble. And in his study, he exhorted us and warned us on the reality of how God views sin in our life. On the, just how, how really wicked it is when sometimes we think, oh, it's, it's not such a bad thing. But in light of a holy God, when we see the truth of it, it's separation from all that is holy. Even referring to what we take into our eyes if we allow pornography into ourself. The lust of the flesh. You see, even if we even lust after a woman, Jesus says that you've already committed adultery. So what do we allow our eyes to watch? Our ears to hear? Where do we allow our feet to go? In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, Paul writes, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. So you say, you know what? I have a struggle in my life. My feet have taken me places I shouldn't go. My eyes have taken me to see things I shouldn't see. And I want to overcome this. How do I overcome it? In that verse that we just read, we see that the Holy Spirit was given to us. So here's something that's kind of right now that I, I just love to, to find out and to be reminded of, that the Holy Spirit belongs to us, that we have the power of the Holy Spirit within us to overcome sin, to overcome anxiety and fear and doubt and disbelief in our life. If we would only just abide in it and lean and stand on the promises of God that, look, the Holy Spirit is with you. To be praying in trial, to be praying in struggle. It's like, man, when you allow Jesus into that room, suddenly it changes things. And we have hope. I remind us again, I said it already, but we're more than conquerors in Christ. Meaning that a, a conqueror is somebody who's he's got a reputation, He's won a few battles, and he's moving forward. But Paul says we're more than conquerors. Why does he say more than conquerors? Because Jesus has already won the battle. In verse 36, Jesus says, If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light. As when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. My dad always taught me this illustration of a cup. And we are that, that vessel, that broken vessel at times for the Lord to use. But sometimes that cup is full of mud. And it, it has, if you were uh, in my house, you would see that my wife hates it if I leave a cup in my van for more than a day with coffee in it. Because then the smell comes and then I have to bring that cup in and she, if she smells that, oh, she does not like that. 
So what does she do? She pours the hot water in it, right? The soap. Now the illustration I want to give here is that when we have sin and, and, and the mud that's in this vessel of ours, as you allow the Holy Spirit to pour in God's word, prayer, the mud starts to come out. And the more hot water, the more Holy Spirit, the more Bible, the more fellowship that you have, that you grow in, the more all the dirt starts to come out. Come out. You see, we don't become sinless, but we do sin less. And I'll leave you guys with this verse. John chapter 8, verse 12. And Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So ultimately, in spiritual warfare, in our spiritual walk, when we need light, where do we go? We go to Jesus. He is our light. He is our salvation. He is our savior. He died for our sins and has given us a new life so we don't have to be condemned. But we could walk knowing that Jesus has already forgiven us. When we come to him and we're like, God, I did it again. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And he's like, wait, wait, you did what again? Remember, it's that, that same sin. He's like, no, 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 I've already forgot about that. So let me forgive you again. Let me have grace on you. Now go and sin no more. That's our Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word that you have given us, Lord God, by the name of Jesus, authority over all those spiritual demons, Lord. Father, that there's nothing too hard for you that when we are in Christ, Lord God, nothing can stand against us. May we walk in that, Father, this week, this season, this year. Help us to be true, Lord God, bringing you into those, those places, Father, where we struggle, asking that you would free us, Lord. Lord Jesus, I do pray and ask, Father, that if there's anyone here this morning that just needs an empowerment of your spirit with something that was just driving in their heart, their mind this morning, if that's you this morning, if there was something in the message that you feel that you just need to get right, that you need to change, or that you just need the Holy Spirit to help you with that particular area of life, just raise your hand and I want to pray a prayer for you. All right. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who've risen their hand in faith, Lord. Father, they didn't need a sign. Father, your word was it. Jesus. I pray, Father, that by faith, Lord, they would receive that promise, Lord God, that you are all-powerful, Lord, that there's nothing too hard for you, that they can walk with you in, in, without condemnation, Father that you would empower them by your spirit, fill them with your spirit, Lord, so that they can, Father, just submit to you, resist the devil, and may the devil flee. And I ask, Father, that you would use them. Father, just fill them that they might be growing in their spiritual gifts. I pray for the church here this morning. I pray, Father, that you would bless them this week. May they put on the armor of God every day. Help us to do so. And may we worship you. We love you. We praise you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand.
right, well, if you guys would like prayer afterwards, oh, please feel free to come see me after the, the worship song. Talk to my dad if you feel like you'd like to get some prayer from him. You want to talk to Lisette, she would love to pray with you. So we're here for you guys, and we want you to know that. Let's end with this song of worship.